Synth Design Podcast. After a break of close to a year, I am pleased to share with you a conversation I had with Stein and Priscilla from This Is Not Rocket Science in Amsterdam. This episode is super special because I actually went there by train. I live in Rotterdam, they live in Amsterdam. It's about an hour of a train ride with some cycling in between. And I was in this remarkable, magical place where they designed and manufactured the Phoenix alongside a lot of other modules that you guys are probably familiar with. We are starting with a little tour, then we go into the process of inspiration and design. I'm trying to understand why they have broken violins in this little research lab of theirs, or why they have so many soldering irons. Chopsticks. What? You'll see. Um, this is... Uh, uh, I need to address the elephant in the room here. I actually released a product just a couple of weeks after I went to their home. This is why I couldn't release this on time. It was planned to be released in May, June, something like that. I had no idea how complicated it is to release your own instruments or your own kits, your own things. The amount of time it requires to do this stuff is just crazy. And I admire any each and one of you who are doing this and serving people around the world with your inspiration, your ideas and your products. So thank you to all of you who are actually doing this. And if you're watching this and you're like, oh man, I really want to do this, or like you're a musician maybe, and you're really uh, wondering how people do this kind of stuff and build their own instruments, know that it's probably easier to build an instrument than to actually do the logistics for it. There are certain things that are just very hard to learn because there are no tutorials on this. You just need to figure things out like old school way and like you need to have a network of people to like do logistics. Otherwise, like no one even talks to you. Anyway, let's put this aside. This conversation is insightful and it has so much in it that I should just stop talking and take you with me into this basement where this is not rocket science are making their own magic. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Hey Stein, how's it going? It's uh, great. It's a uh, well, welcome to our uh, factory house. Uh, just our house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the famous kitchen table where we do all the things. Woohoo! A lot of the things happen. Yeah, yes. and the green wall. Yes. Very cool. This is how this is how things look in Amsterdam. Tiny and beautiful. <laughs> cool. So I'm gonna get a tour. Yes. Uh, there's also a bit outside, but it's, it's maybe for later. Uh, oh, wow. Welcome in the mess. Oh my god. <laughs> this this is where we... Uh... Now, so it has a surprise. <laughs> Current production run we're working on, calibrating all the other bills, leftovers from the test rig of the Phoenix, some Phoenix prototypes, an old Phoenix 2, uh, and the studio area where we have where I spend my nights working on well Phoenixes and modules and weird stuff. This is absolutely amazing. <laughs> absolutely amazing. 
this, this is all the yeah, this is sort of what, what you need to get to eventually a phoenix so you have to try everything build everything burn your fingers on everything take and then apart, take it apart it yeah it pretty much all the synthesizers you see around the place have their screws taken out because we're always digging inside so uh, lose the screws and then yeah <laughs> did you abuse Pile. this dx7 uh, it's in one piece <laughs> the, fun, the fun abuse yeah <laughs> Dead violins in there. Yeah, I, I bought some broken violins to, because I, I don't dare buy a new violin and put the saw in it and just find out the amount probes in it. But I found some broken violins in an auction house that I could buy for cheap and then I don't feel so bad killing an instrument. So we have a bunch of those. Uh, I also tried he was building investigating some... how the sound yeah. <laughs> moves the inside of... the, the body of the violin, yeah. how the waves move. Yeah, he's yeah, just testing that. Some old um, guitars. Yeah, guitar, home built guitars. He also guitars. has trouble throwing stuff away. Yeah. No longer. Yeah, it might all come useful. in handy. Yeah. yeah. Especially with tools, of course, because we always need all the tools eventually anyway. Uh, there's lots of case experiments. There's custom controller experiments to, to, to find out if if this might go somewhere. We have. Uh, I had a multi microphone thing somewhere that is. That's, I still don't have a purpose for. Uh, yeah, the list, of the list is just huge. <laughs> so point at something, there is a story. <laughs> yeah, the workbench. Workbench with the microscope and yeah. the mess on it. Oh, here's the microphone. Uh, this, is a, this is one of those, those prototypes that just accidentally happens. Because there's, there's a tiny microphone inside the Phoenix. And I've always wanted to find out if you could record a waveform from audio hitting a sheet. And these, these tiny surface mount microphones are uh, small enough that you can now just mount 16 of them, of them on a board and stream them to an audio interface and play with it. You can make directional beamforming microphone things out of this. Uh, but now I have it and I have no clue what to do with it. I just made it and <laughs> don't have time to actually experiment with it yet. So that's sitting here until, until the time comes. There's a lot of things like that around and it, it might end up in some module or an instrument or it might not. Yeah, tons of books everywhere of course. Uh, production rejects everywhere. There's this whole pile here. It's, uh, um, I call it, yeah, everything from the Phoenix that didn't make our QC pass and that we couldn't actually re repair in time ended up here. There's actually a modest pile compared to yeah, the, the run that we did. But since, uh, since somebody online already asked about my favorite Doctor Who episode, here's the... Yeah, this Ziffer, this is for you. Yeah, <laughs> this is inside the Phoenix, hidden, uh, hidden several layers deep, so nobody should ever get to see this in normal operation, but it's there anyway. But yeah, everything always gets decorated way more than we probably should, but... <laughs> You are talking to a graphic designer, you know, for me, yeah. this is like, of course you have to do this. Yes. But, <laughs> this is uh, very well, important. Yeah. But the assembly houses sometimes complain because their, their soldering workers get dizzy looking at it. <laughs> it's not very good for the final quality of your boards. <laughs> but most of this should be touched by machines only, so then, then it's okay. Oh yeah, the stacks of reels, because we need prototyping parts for everything. 
Uh, we also do regular trips to, trips to China to stock up on weird prototyping parts. Mm, we used to. Yeah, we used to before COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you think you have enough soldering irons? Uh, yes. <laughs> use them all the time, have them set to different temperature ranges and sometimes even use them as chopstick style two in one hand. Get, get the difficult parts out. Chopsticks? What? Yes. How? Why? Have them chopstick style, and then <laughs> just just get get components two sides at the same time. Just as one does. Yes, <laughs> as one has to. <laughs> There's one over there. Uh, no, there's also a reject. Yeah. I don't really know why anymore, but it's just... And, and look at this! <laughs> this is um, the first prototype that we made that we brought to Superbooth. A single PCB. So this was 2018? Uh, 2019. 19. Yeah, 19 yeah. we went to Superbooth to show the, the first working version, which was only about like 60% working. But nobody ever found out. Mm. <laughs> we made, made sure the rest worked before it was really done anyway. If you're hearing this, so this is the uh, burning rack for the phoenixes, but you know, most of them are gone now. A, a burning burning rack? What, what is that? Um, so what we, we after it's completely done and calibrated and tested, we keep it on for, uh, I think, 48 hours for Jeez. every phoenix. Um, because if components inside break, they tend to break in like the first few hours of being on. So everything we send out uh, gets a burning test of usually 48 hours. So that when it breaks, it breaks here. And I don't think anything broke in so our burning. Some stuff did, did went off, off calibration, so we can... Not broken, but yeah. out of... Out of calibrated yeah. area. Yeah. yeah, out of calibration, so we upgrade a bit, reburn it. And <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now they're of course all gone, so we had these nice protective boxes. And this, this whole column get re gets really hot. So, and, uh, so how long have you been working in this space here? In, in this building, uh, since 2008. 2008? Yeah. Uh, and how, how old, like, uh, I mean, Phoenix is just a few years old, but then uh, you've yeah. done a lot of modules way earlier. Uh, well... Modules not well way earlier. We started seven years ago, I think. But my audio work, uh, my first commercial audio work was in two thousand two, and my first non-commercial audio work was when I was four years old, somewhere in nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but the first things I released I, uh, must have been nineteen ninety-six, nineteen ninety-seven. That I plugins. yeah, I, I must have released lots of DSP plugins for. Just be at the moment where real-time audio became possible on, on home PCs, uh, that's just when I was learning how to program and I really wanted to make music. So I had to learn that and then I had a lot of fun playing with that. So you've and been programming for like 20... More. 30, <laughs> 30 years. Yeah, 30, 30, like 30 something years, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of this stuff is actually analog. Yes, and a lot of it is also digital. Right. Um, but that's always uh, with anything, any computation, you can perform the computation digitally, which is really precise clock ticks and precise, always the same result, um, but not always the most efficient in terms of energy or uh, resources or price. So it always becomes a, 
a trade-off and some stuff you just have to do analog because it makes more sense and some stuff you have to do digital because it makes more sense and if you're building a system that's supposed to be the best of all worlds then you for each component you select what's best so in in a phoenix there's eight separate microcontrollers so it's all one big digital knot um, some of it is completely analog some of it's completely digital some of it is fly-by-wire analog so there's an analog circuit that's being controlled by some digital spider sort of Cord yeah, it's sort of uh, adjusting it on the fly to, to keep it in check. Um, and then it's all networked, of course, and then there's things you can do if it's networked, like having uh, shared uh, quantizer settings or timing settings, all that stuff that's all hooked up. Yeah. So it seems like everything comes from a concept. Yeah. And then you decide on the technology and the, the approach to tackle this concept. Yeah based on what you feel like, okay, this would make sense. It could be analog, it could be digital. It, it could be physical. It could be physical. <laughs> yeah, or it could be not at all. A virtual thing is always better than a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it could also stay in the concept. Do you have any ideas that were like, okay, this this is just going to be on paper? Uh, no, not yet. I always make the mistake of trying to build it. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, but 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 I always feel that especially now in uh, in in a resource constrained world that if I can already experience what it was like to own the thing without actually having to own the thing or even having built the thing that saves so much energy and I can still be happy that I've read about the thing so sort of science fiction is the ultimate product development for me because I don't need to own anything and I still enjoy the fact that it could have existed. That's beautiful. That's a really good way of, of looking at things. Yeah. Actually, making something feels like a concession. Or I really want it so much that reading about it is no longer enough. <laughs> I see. I see here a box of. It, it just says knobs. Yeah. What do you think is in there? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's knobs inside. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That is a lot of very exciting stuff that we're going to be seeing here. That's awesome. Okay, we need to charge. We need to yeah. charge this beast. Let's. Uh, Look at this beautiful thing. It's like a city. Yeah. 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 Ducks. Let's talk about ducks. <laughs> ducks. This is a painting made for my for my mother by some guy that, that was really into her. Uh, tried to woo her over by giving her this painting. And I, for while some reason... Pregnant with you. Yeah, while pregnant with me. Yeah. <laughs> so this ended up in my, my baby room and it's been with me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Now that is a story you don't you don't really hear that often. No. <laughs> <laughs> so and and what do we have uh, like here in the back? Which one? This this this, this. thing. Oh, this is um, is a prototype front panel for the Sintanova Pan. This is something that's still not done yet, and we're still working on it. Um, this is uh, a new keyboard. Well, there's no keys attached to it right now. Uh, but this is sort of the production notes of how we thought we might want to change the interface compared to what it was on this version. Um, this is also basically where the Phoenix started because this is where us getting to know uh, the people from Sinsonovo came from. Is from their project Pun, where they they're masters of you know of synths, but a little while ago. So trying to connect to the new digital, it must you know somehow be plugged into a modern studio. Uh, they ended up in at our kitchen table. And then we ended up uh, discussing the Phoenix 2, and then we ended up building uh, the Phoenix 4. So it's from the pun that came yeah. 
that other and, project. And, and, and this still is still ongoing, but yeah. it's going a bit slower, which, uh, yeah, unfortunately has to do with some health issues on, on their side. Right. Uh, They've been active from like the 70s, didn't they? Yeah, end yeah. yeah, of the 70s, early 80s, and then... Uh, they were really big in, uh, in the Netherlands then. Yeah. Everywhere, they were just big. They were just... They, they run all over Musicon, here. which was sort of the super booth back then. Uh, and they had offices in several several countries and lots of employees. And then through no fault of their own, they uh, they were forced into bankruptcy and sort of stopped. And out of the ashes of that came the Phoenix. That's also... Why it's called <laughs> that. Yeah, why it's the Phoenix. Yeah. And then... Bert made that. Yeah, uh, with uh, with some other designers from from the original Sintem company. But Bert. No. Bert. Bert. Bert Vermeule. Uh, he's, you know, some people have um, talents in some areas. Uh, he he's like the the audio circuit whisperer. He has somehow a, a very natural understanding of how things that make sounds should be built in an analog fashion, um, while not being a musician at all like not being on that side he's fully in the in the building in the circuitry side of things in the schematic side of things yeah but he's really good at it which is i think why the phoenix was so amazing because there is there's a, a strange talent behind it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it was a great starting point uh... and it was lovely because the other designer for the phoenix 4 is laudi that we work with um and I think especially him and Bert, they went through a lot of the schematics of, of the Phoenix 2 that Bert did. But he then explained, you know, why. Because it's just a drawing, but there's a lot of decisions behind it and ideas of how sound and how circuitry works. And to me, it really looked like, you know, he was explaining how the inside of his mind works to somebody else who could completely understand what he was talking about. Because Laudi's also a bit the same. I yeah. guess <laughs> also has this weird talent for that. Um, yeah, so that was, even though I don't technically understand what was going on, it was just amazing to see that sort of yeah. sharing. Also on a, on a weird meta level, even looking at where Bert's eye, eyes go when looking at the schematic taught me a lot about reading schematics. Like you have this wall of components. Where do you start looking? Well, Bert starts there. That might have a reason. I, I let's do that too, <laughs> and then sort of see where, see how he reads the, the flow. And then after uh, after after a year of being submerged into Phoenix schematics, to sort of start seeing why that was the flow. That, yeah, the, still learning uh, about all that, but it's it feels more natural now. So there there has been great interaction with the old Symptom guys. And yeah, we're still working on the on the next thing, the, the the final version. I can I can sort of show a prototype later on. There's something hidden on the other side. <laughs> we have a a more full fledged uh, thing out there. We have also already showed it super booth, but it has a new keyboard. So instead of just playing, you can also play sideways and in front back and uh, really sensitive, like like a violin string. You can have a vibrato in violin. You can also have vibrato in your piano keys this way. Um, yeah, so they need more tactile. I want. I have the synthesizer, but now I can't even play half of it because I can't put my feelings into it because there's not these tiny motions yeah. that I was used to with guitars and drums and trumpets and whatever. So in a very different way, the oh, it's so weird, like the squishy. Uh, the rolly. The, yeah. not the rolly. The uh, the red and black. Uh, oh, the hacken. The hacken. <laughs> yeah, they also found it like a more expressive way of controlling a synthesizer. 
Yeah, you actually, just uh, just before you mentioned something about analyzing analog, uh, not analog, but acoustic instruments. Yeah. yeah. Can we maybe talk a little bit about that? Because I know that there is a huge inspiration when you are going into electronic music. Like the first frustration is like, okay, this is not like an acoustic instrument because yeah. of so many different things. You basically need to uh, recreate acoustics and imagine acoustics in perhaps in even, even a different way than what acoustics are even even are. Yeah. Uh, so, like, how do you approach something like this? Uh, with full despair. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the amount of computation that the universe throws at something simple as a violin is fast. Yeah. I, I, so, if if you're building a simple circuit, you're you're making one line of computation where nature would have literally done billions of atoms doing their own computation at the same time, and on average producing this beautiful tone. So you're always looking for shortcuts to not have to do all of that and then do just enough so it's convincing and expressive enough for people. So it's... <laughs> so it's, it's not so much of trying to actually rebuild what, what's going on in the physical world, because that would take all of the physical world, but it's what in that is it that, that appeals to us and that could be interesting to control. And from, if you take it a step back, I find it... Uh, very interesting that usually when we have um, a, a virtual something where we can synthesize what reality is, the first thing we do is mimic reality we have, which is kind of strange. <laughs> it gives you the option to go beyond, to do something completely different, but the first thing we want is no, 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 it has to work like a piano or like a violin. Yeah. So that's, there's also a disconnect there that on the one hand I appreciate because that's what we're used to what we expect and what we're sort of pro, uh, prone to like but i'm also always interested but where can we break that Absolutely. because this gives us the space to break that yeah. why not and, and also we can um, instead of trying to simulate or uh, take physicality and simulate it good enough so it becomes it gets close to the reality that we want you can also start at the result and break down the result and work backwards yeah and then find out okay like like a drum you have uh a proper drum synth is again super expensive to, comp uh, to compute. You can have weeks of, of sort of uh, wavefront tracing code in uh, in a drum head and still not sound decent. Um, but you can also look at the results and and uh, of the wave file, which is just sort of it has a tail, it has a certain noise profile, and you look at the uh, at the average of all the samples you can find, and you see that they're all within error margins of a certain sound area. So you can pretty much just apply that statistic to the base level and then work around the, the base signal and still get to the same result without having to simulate anything. But yeah, th these are the kind of shortcuts that we're, we're always sort of hunting for. And but when you simulate it, it, it gives you points where you can now insert like controls that you don't usually have, which yeah. is uh, what uh, Laudi is doing right now with yeah. the drum. there's a new drum coming soon. And a little bit also what makes the Wobbler so interesting, because there is physical modeling in there. But it's always trying one. to find the least amount of simulation that you can get yes. away with to make it interesting and expressive and still have the sound good because if you simulate to get the sound good you're probably going to burn your fingers. So yeah. there, there's. Uh, and have yeah. math for, work for you. The yeah. double pendulum is definitely math working for us. And in the... Oh my god, what's it called again? In the, in the noise box, in the, the Phoenix. The yeah. time versus... Time, sp time space, and continu continuity. That one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a probability clouds 
Yeah, yeah. it's literally tweaking uh, with uh, uh, just probabilistic density clouds. Um, because you, if, if you're having a random thing happening, you can always have measure distribution, and then uh, like a normal Gaussian curve, uh, things are mostly happening in the middle, and sometimes they happen on the side of the middle or all the way at the end of the tails. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it digitally, you can of course just draw that curve and then say, well, this is my probability curve, and give me results that form this curve. Uh, so for the noise box in the Phoenix, we made something where you can edit that curve. You can just say, well, I want a flat curve, I want a beta curve, I want a Gaussian curve, or I want anything in between, or with binary choices, and then crossfade between all those. Um, it's sort of cooking the books for uh, for beginners. No, not for beginners, just... <laughs> what do you mean, cooking, cooking the books? Like, like uh, you, 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 uh, you're going to roll dice, and you know, know ahead of time exactly what the distribution of numbers is that you're going to get, even if you don't know the actual numbers, but you can just sort of do the magic yeah. trick, and it will be good eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So it's, 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 I think it's a very simple way. It's a tiny simulation of what your events are going to uh, actually pan out like. Yeah, all models are simulations of reality, and this is a very flattened one on which you can have lots of events. So, yeah. Yeah. Statistics. Yeah, it makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah, statistics. <laughs> and, and physics and a lot of, yeah, a lot of, um, yeah, you, you need to you need to analyze a lot of things, um, but like, is there is there a chance we can look at the at the violin oh, just to understand like how would you how do you <laughs> analyze it? But mostly, I, I spend a lot of time physically measuring things. Uh, Why is this dead? Is well, a look crack in front, in the, 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 the holes are cracked. Oh, okay. But in um. But it's specifically the the things I was looking at with this thing. Um, is that well, there's these strings and they're coupled there, and the behavior of a string is is relatively straightforward. There, there's uh, you ex excite here something, and the waves start traveling both sides. And if they hit the edge, then the edge will have some filtering effect where it transfers some of the energy into the body, but most of it reflects. And same here. Um, but then specifically this hole tiny thing with the poles. This is a, I think it's called the bridge. This has a, a very nice bundling shape. It, it funnels all the um, vibrations from the strings into these two legs. And they're very nicely contained points that insert these vibrations into the, the whole resonating body. Um, so I was measuring all, where all those things were exactly and, and uh, drawing out the shape and making air transport and making wave transport through uh, solid wood to see how did, uh, how to actually make it sound good. And how would you what, what, what do you mean air? Uh, I lost you there. What's I the, understood what you said about like how the, the waves basically yeah. get to here but from, and then they enter inside. Yeah, so the, um, the, the vibrations of the strings, they, they end up on these legs yeah. and from there they start radiating on the wood yeah. and in the air in the inside. So the, the, the um, the underside is also going up and down, so this whole air, air volume inside is, is sort of compressing and contracting, uh, expanding all the time. Mm -hmm. But that, that sort of radiates from the center and then bounces from the edges and it sort of goes into infinity loop in, uh, inside until it finally exits through the air holes. And uh, what was really nice to see after, after enough simulation is that the entire shape of this thing is really taking 
every frequency and each frequency ends up interfering somewhere on this edge here. Mm -hmm. And the shorter corners are for the high, uh, uh, higher frequencies and the longer corners are for the lower frequencies and they're all made exactly. So whatever happens with those, it gets sort of lensed into these holes. So there, there's sort of two highways of energy flowing through the violin that, that bundle everything exactly through these F-holes. And the F-holes actually have to be this wide, otherwise they would miss a bit of the frequency area. It could really sort of tape certain areas from here to, to make an equalizer out of hardware. Yeah. So that's, that's how, what I was doing. How, how do you simulate something like this? So you obviously researched uh, acoustic instruments and how they're actually designed. But yeah. how do you simulate something like this? What do you mean by I simulated this? Um, so well, by, by simulating this, this virtual world with enough fine-grained detail, you can have this virtual violin in your computer and then say, well, what happens if I insert sound there? Can I then visualize how this sound is flowing through this device? So you say you measured it from this, but I would expect to see some sort of sensor on it then. No, nothing no I, I measured it. it. I just had to have measurement with distances. Oh, okay. So you could sort of rebuild it virtually. Yeah. So when you say you simulated it, is it like in C++? Yeah. Okay. So you're not really, you're just seeing numbers. You're not seeing any, there's no visual representation rather than but just numbers. Well, there you is, you can actually see yeah. the whole airwaves flowing, like wave fronts, real time visualized. So yeah, I'll, I'll show this to you. So, like. so you create, okay. You basically create a simulation, a visual simulation yeah. of the code. So you could really analyze it. Uh, yeah, so then, then, then I can also, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't fast enough for audio real-time, but it's definitely fast enough for real-time, just 30 frames per second to draw a different body shape to see how, if I change this shape, how does that affect the sound? And if I change the whole shape, how does that affect the sound? Um, so you can, uh, even if the simulation is not that great and I'm probably wrong on so many levels, I can, by tweaking that simulation, I've already learned a lot about the real thing anyway. Just, it's almost like reframing reality for yourself so you can draw more conclusions uh, about it or at least find out how your preconceptions are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then you find out by the model that the shape of the violin is well, a perfect shape for this kind of well, sound production. You could optimize it, you could take away the notches, you could take this, this thing away, this is economically bullshit, it has to be rotated. It is. There's so <laughs> many things you can change about this to make it better and still sound like a violin. Yeah, okay. It doesn't need to be wood at all, it can just be plastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are plastic violins now, and they sound great. So, <laughs> also these, these tutors, this is what, what are they thinking? It's, it's, um, there, there's never really been a um, product design step around the violin because this has evolved with the tools that were available back then and these days we have much more technology at our disposal to do something like this. But now we're all so used to seeing exactly this thing on, on stage and in concert halls that it's unlikely to go away. <laughs> so you analyze something like this and then what instrument comes from this? I bet that this is really inspiring. You discover a lot of new things and then you say, okay, I'm gonna Put a few knobs, connect them, and well, make a synth. What what synth comes out of this research? Uh, well, not the Phoenix because that's that's too analog still to, to actually use the models that are in here. Um, 
But one of the things that did come out of here is uh, something that ended up in the reverb plugin. The reverb plugin, uh, it's not a plugin. It's also a plugin, but it's also a physical module in the, in the Phoenix. Uh, the reverb model uses a bunch of um, simulated early reflections to sort of you, you snap your fingers and the first sound bounce from from the rooms. That has a certain pattern and a certain flavor to it. And by doing this, I learned enough about how all this reflection goes on to put proper reflections inside that reverb. But that's, uh... So the synthesizer from this is yet to come, and that's already in the works. And, uh... Well, part of it's in the Phoenix already. Part, yeah, but and the real, yeah. We're planning to take it out of the Phoenix and give it its own life as well. Right. Next yeah. year. Like a standalone uh, or a module. Well, within your rack. Within yeah. your rack. Maybe even standalone. The reverb. Also. The yeah, reverb. the reverb. But but the, the synthesizer is going to be part of the the Big Fish keyboard. That is mm. also yeah, it's which an, is another project. So things or part of things end up in you know yeah. other things yeah. But also the the exploration phase needs to be wide enough. So by the time you're actually building something, you're just oh yeah, I have this and this would work nice with this because we've already tried it. And then, yeah. So yeah, this is this is. Uh, part of the ongoing experiments. So do you have like uh, yeah. rituals and routines that you always do? Always do. Well, usually you get out of bed at <laughs> Yeah, I work at night. I get out of bed at 12. That's not really a ritual, it's just a rhythm. Yeah, but um, I guess yeah, but working it, at night, I think, is very important for you. Because uh, it's quiet and uh, no distractions. Yeah, no distractions, middle of the night. Uh, well, there, there's one, one thing that's always happening. Um, it's high-quality progress bars. That's a bit of a ritual. <laughs> high-quality progress bars. Yes, because at some point in the process, I always end up making things that take way too long to compute and then spending a bit of time making the waiting more pleasant is something I always do. <laughs> so just for yourself? Yes, just for myself. Just any, any process, something with... Or, or the, the logs that scroll past have to be really fancy or there has to be some... Do some, tell, can you show me? Uh, I don't have actually anything actually running right now. Well, one, one of the things, the Phoenix firmware upgrade is um, it really shows you every file with a tiny scroll bar and a little disk, disk drive icon when you update. So instead of just some, some LED blinking and you have to, to just wait until it magically it's done, we try and make a tiny experience of it and then it feels like there's something going on and you're never uh, uncertain that it's still going. It also Which... tends to build the software that you build the thing in. So. <laughs> well, yeah. th that I understand from, from these yeah. explanations. It's yes. not, yeah, like... So. It's uh, a lot of the tools to make the Phoenix we did ourselves. And uh, I was initially even going to do the circuit board design tools myself, but that didn't go fast enough and KiCad got good fast enough that I thought that, well, it's pointless to, uh, to try and compete with KiCad. Or Kaikat, not sure how people pronounce it. Um, but I think you earlier already asked about how, how the hell did we do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, part of it is, of course, software. <laughs> what I was curious to understand is like when, when I see something like the Phoenix. Yes. It's a beast. Yes. And, and it's yes. like, it's like. Uh, I mean, you guys, you guys live in Amsterdam. It's basically like a manufacturing house in yeah. in the middle of Amsterdam. Um, it's not really something you would expect a company, a small company, to do. Like this is something that maybe 
I don't know, uh, Moog can do, or, yeah. uh, you know, like, really, like, you have people, you have a manufacturing space, you have, like, things, and then, and then you can also invest in research to do something like this. It's, it's interesting you phrase it like this, because I, I would think that Moog would never burn their fingers at something like this. You have to be an independent, crazy person to even contemplate starting this, so... Uh, I guess what I'm asking is, is because like the investment in something like this, the, the risk you're taking, like, yeah. will people buy this? I need to now spend so much money, so much time to actually build something that like modules, I totally see how people come up with wild ideas for modules. Could, you know, yeah. like I can make everything from PCB, get it from China, make a run of 20 and sell them. It's like, that's a fun hobby. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. So the, first of all, <laughs> yeah. even what? though we are, we are sort of art first driven, so design, um, the need for it to exist uh, mostly comes from him and that must exist first before we you know, consider building it at all. So it's not money first because especially in Eurorack there are a few like holes in the market that for you would not be that difficult to fill and probably money could be made. But that's money first design. And even though we're we're not a foundation, so money is important, but it's the second consideration. And I think that's also when uh, making a phoenix, the first consideration is yes, we should be doing this. You know, we want to be doing this. Does Human this need value. to exist? Does this need to exist? And if we were especially working with uh, Bert and Felix, it was just such a great story and coming together of you know starting with the phoenix too, which is. Down here, by the way, <coughs> we have uh, one of Bert's uh, Phoenix 2, of which there is a lot in the four. There's some stuff hidden everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, allow me to not break. Yeah, that is not clever. Let me just move this from here. Because we don't have... If anything enough. breaks, we have repair tools. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Yeah, so we were talking about the Phoenix 2. Yeah, this is the Phoenix 2. How, how old is this guy? Uh, 2010 or something. Tanyama, this is his, so this is maybe a little bit earlier. Yeah, a little bit earlier. Oh. Do we need to move the power supply otherwise? We can also do that. No, I, I, think, I think it's okay. I'm, like, I moved I moved it from there. Yeah. yeah. From just sort of loving that and that, that hooked into conversations we were having before that the, the great thing about Eurorack as a system is that it's, like you just said, it's easier to experiment in it mm -hmm. and everyone can have uh, their own little freaky thing that they want and you can build your own instrument from it. Mm -hmm. That immediately also makes the drawback that you have very little virtuosos of modular synth because they keep changing your own instrument. And You have very, come again? Very little uh, virtuosos, so really good oh, players. Oh, virtuosos, yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, funny enough, a small anecdote. When I started with Modular, like it was about four years ago, I, th I said that I'm going to create a system. I'm going to change the system every time based on an uh, architecture. I'm going to take like yeah. a piece of architecture, I'm going to design a system, design a patch, then go shoot video there of that location uh, as if like this like this was like a, a an, an art project that I was working on. Okay. It was 
a drastic failure. <laughs> a drastic failure simply because like you don't you like the virtuosity of, of like really playing something professionally, you have to invest time in it. You cannot yes. just like yeah, I'm just gonna move this here, this here, this here, and now I'm gonna start playing like you you cannot make music like this. No. That's what I like so much about this because then this is really an instrument that was designed by a person for a specific way of using and you could abuse that way of using um, but like you get used to it. It's like I, I know a guitar by heart because I've been playing it for 25 years. Exactly. So it's the same thing with something like this that is like this is <laughs> it's not it's not even like a, like a make noise system that is like you know like the shared system that is like you can buy it like this but then you could also <laughs> rephrase it. Yeah, this, this is cannot, unrephrasable. No, yes. It's like, we this just, is it. This we is an instrument. We decided for you. Yeah. This, this is what you need. Yeah. Of course, it does talk to modular synth, so you can expand it on yeah. the outside. But, yeah. And this, so the Phoenix 2 really had that instrument level of uh, of, of a modular. Yeah, and um, it also got a kind of bit of cult status because of it. Because people really got sounds out of it that yeah. they not really got out of other systems because of the transient nature of all these modules. So, um Originally, I already I saw that in the Phoenix 2 and I really liked that about it. Um, and the risk is indeed, will people have enough money to buy it all in one go? Mm -hmm. But if people like a wall of modular, then I don't have much doubt that they're going to like a Phoenix. So it's all the same. It's just, it is an assumption. True. It is. Yeah. An it is really, yeah, it's yeah. a really big assumption because then you know, then you could say you could argue that um, then they really pick their own modules and it's like a playful thing, and you're like, no, you have to buy a whole system. Yes. Yeah. Seems to me like it, like it's, this it's, is a bit like it would make me really anxious. Like, would people really do that? No, it's commitment. This yeah. is commitment. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. But it's also yeah. there uh, because we basically removed the uh, the option for people to choose their modules. It's up to us to make it a really interesting set. Yes. Yeah. And we went out of our way to really put variety in there. Like there's uh, almost nothing is there twice. So if there's two, three oscillators, of course they're all three different oscillators. They're not even, well, one is digital, one is analog, one is analog and digital. So they're, they're all spreading the range. Same with the filters. There's four filters. They're all completely different topologies. One slash two of them are digital. There's a vocal filter. There's a uh, formant filter. Uh, a vocal and formant are almost the same. Uh, there's a vocoder and there's a digital analog simulation thing. So every bit there is sort of um, we chose something. So it will always have at least one of the more interesting versions of everything on there. So you'll never be really disappointed if you ever get to get said, ah, why didn't that include? Well, it's there. <laughs> so um, th that was at least one way of risk mitigation, which of course put the risks in time because it make, takes more time to develop all that. Um, and it puts the risk somewhere else because yeah. then people, some people make make choices to have a certain kind of synthesis, certain kind of system. Yeah. So you're a bit, and you're telling them, well, uh, no. <laughs> if you want two of these oscillators, you buy two phoenixes. All choices yeah. are choices, and all choices have consequences. Yeah, but I I always felt uh, like even starting from sort of the genius of the Phoenix Two, and knowing that both Stein and Naudi have spent both in yeah, each one guys. of them more than two decades developing uh, digital parts, mm -hmm. and we've just had a few years of experience manufacturing uh, electronics with our small modules, small compared to the Phoenix, um, we thought, well, we can do this. We, if we can, therefore we should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
there's always there's always a risk in in that's why it's entrepreneurship and that's but this, is, uh, this is also so we, we got but here uh, with super booth like we made well designed that was all a, thing that was a real go no go moment yeah we went us. we went to super booth 2019 with with that prototype actually yeah um, not all of it fully functional yeah but, but enough to show this is what we want to make yeah. this is what we want to do and with with a, an empty pre-order list we just got there and if nobody signs up, we're just not doing this. <laughs> and we got home with 60 pre-orders. 60 pre-orders? Yeah. Well, the, wait, we had an open waiting list. Op, yeah, open waiting list, uh, not pre-orders, but 60 people had signed up for One Thing of Phoenix after that first weekend. In the two weeks before Superbooth, Stein had yeah, soldered all of it. Yeah. Hand soldered all of it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's four, a lot of four like, and tiny SMD. Yeah, four and a half thousand. <laughs> four and a half thousand. That was a lot of. That's that's like uh, that's, you know that's like. Uh, that's the bleeding fingers category. Lego, so, right? you know, like we could we could consider this like uh, four thousand Lego pieces for adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I guess a day before the phaser oh, yeah. literally exploded. So this area just went just big smoke coming out. On the, on the this was before, before, like before when, like when we talked to Divkid, like a day, a day, a day, a day before, before, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so we, we, we just sat there sawing out the, the tiny area and, sort of, and, and we uh, hacked in one of the other uh, earlier prototypes. We just, just sort of stuck it behind there so nobody would see that it's actually here. But we but made it, it work. work. <laughs> that was that one was... of the parts, parts that did work. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that's been taken out and put in and wires everywhere on the inside. So from the first prototype, you still have to do a lot of work to get to an actual manufacturing ready version. Like this, this, uh, this is one big circuit board. This is not how you manufacture anything in bulk because no. um, the pick and place machine is like this wide at most. So uh, you can already see here that we made some brake lines in the Phoenix where we thought that this, this sheet would come off, this sheet would come off and this sheet would come off. So this is, only, is already three big ones and two through-hole only parts. Mm. Um, this turned out still to be too big because there's still risk if one area is really beyond repair then you have to throw away the whole thing. So we cut it again in, in two areas uh, here and uh, here, I think, or here, yeah. Um, but then of course you get the startup cost at every board. You have to sort of make a separate order and make orders custom PCBs and everything else. But then we got come to how we made this fast. And if you if you see all these outlines here, these are um, not just drawn in artwork because we like an outline around stuff. These are actually separate eagle or dip trace or keycap designs. So each of these areas is actually a separate file. Um, and we wrote, the, I wrote the software to actually combine those into this bigger board and uh, make sort of meta blocks that we could just, just drag the meta blocks around and then connect those up in much simpler, faster fashion. So the, uh, like the noise box here, this tiny area, uh, is it also somewhere here? Yeah, here, here's the, the same-ish thing, different version, so everything has moved around. Um, but I, I could literally just update the standalone version and it would be kept in sync with the big version and we could both work on these individually. So all, all of these, either Laudi or I did a separate design. And then you know, this, this one is instance three times because we needed three mixers. Mm. So it's, it's really, 
trying to automate as much of the workflow as possible and also automate all the validation. So if, if this block works, then inside here is fine and we know it has a, a certain interface to the outside, just like computer programs and SDKs have interfaces and APIs. We made a sort of mini API for each of these blocks to interface with the whole. And then on a higher level, we could just connect those dots together and then be certain that it would just work all over. Because and was this the idea from the beginning? Was there like a, yeah. uh, I mean, it seems like you, you had to make some assumptions and probably like a lot of failure in the process to get to the point where you can actually like sort of streamline it. Because it's uh, like you need to. I think many things come from frustrations with yeah. the current. Yeah. Do you remember, options. like, like if if yeah. someone if someone is crazy enough to do this now and like they're like they're really inspired by this and like oh I have to I, I need to make my own I need to make my own thing like this so big. Yeah. What advice would you give them? Spend time. Do not start. Well, no, no. It's, actually, by all means, go for it. Um, but spend time on making a proper tool chain that you can do these kind of stunts where you can actually design these things individually without affecting the whole. Because um, this, this story doesn't end here because the whole front panel is procedurally generated from the PCB. So every time I change anything here, I just press a button and a new file for the printer comes out, the manual is updated, everything is one big script. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? This is such a big project. I, I will make mistakes. And I know this about myself, so I make codes for it that can't make mistakes. You guys should see my face. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what the fuck? It's like, okay. I guess it makes sense, right? Like, like what, what did I expect? It, it makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, how can you do something? Like, how can yeah. you... This is a huge undertaking. Like yeah. you have to have the, the tools for it and there are no one, like no one created the tool for this. You have to create yeah. the tools. So, but, but don't be afraid to create those tools. Yeah. You know what you need. And then, oh, I need this button. Well, build the button. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. can build this, you can also build the tool. <laughs> That's, Automate uh, whatever you can, as soon as you can. Yeah. And especially automate your validation if you can, to make, if you can have a system sort of keep a check on you, like, you know, th this is, you're, you've missed some routing here, uh, connecting to the rest of the boards, or this is electrically not going to work, then by all means do, because otherwise it's, you know, this, this also resulted so in, in your own head. It has resulted in interesting bugs as well. We almost got bitten by it, but we also got helped out by it. Is it accidentally something got better? Yeah, accidentally something got better. Because um, <coughs> this is, now it's one big PCB. This is how I designed it. So on my screen, I would have this huge thing, um, except that the insides were empty because that was merged in afterwards in post-processing step. So I was just looking at this and pretty much say, well, the jacks go here and these modules are there and the knobs are roughly there. Like, the knobs are roughly there. Um, but for the factory, of course, we need all these separate components. So one of the uh, post-processing tools I wrote is something that takes these edges and makes separate board files out of those and makes separate bill of material files for each of the areas. And then generates a massive folder with, with all these uh, individual work packages for the factories, like this board needs all these components, this board needs this. And now it's correct, but I made one mistake early on. <laughs> so all the resistors were sort of off by one in the reference designators at some point. Mm -hmm. Most of them went okay, but we uh, the first beta units came back with like on, on these 4,000 components, 
100 mystery components were wrong. <laughs> so I just stared, okay, which one can be wrong? I know it's wrong, but can I reproduce my bug correctly enough that I know which one exactly? So the, uh, eventually we, we found all of them except one. And then we were testing it with a production test jig. There's also a whole story on that. But um, the beta board we got back sounded better than the one we brought as a reference. It turned out that one of these resistors that was actually from the bug was just a better value for this analog pump out. <laughs> okay, whatever that one is, can you do this again, please? <laughs> we have no clue. Just measure whatever they put on the board. Okay, keep it, this is fine. So yeah, so the, uh, on the one hand, build systems, uh, test them before we go to the factory, but it, uh, yeah. and things will go wrong anyway. And then, um, but don't throw away the error straight away because you know who knows what you might find. Yeah. But that's that's been across the whole project. So you uh, you try a whole bunch of stuff, you do everything you think you need to do, and then it goes wrong anyway. And then you come up with a design solution that is beyond what you ever expected to make in the first place. <laughs> but you, I, I yeah. do feel like as soon as you have something where you're like, oh, yes, I think this is it, make it. Because physicality has has its own many, many challenges. Reality is uh, obstinate. So, <laughs> and you will just run into things that you haven't considered and you can't consider everything. So just get to that as fast as you can. I don't like the uh, run fast and break stuff idea but as soon as you think okay i think this is all i have to say about this then have it made or yeah, make it yourself that. or just <laughs> yeah put it in reality or put it in virtual reality but wherever you want it to eventually live uh, get it there as, as fast as you can and then have yourself or other people try and try and use it yeah uh, and see that as part of your plan, and that the first time that is probably not going to completely work out the way you think. That's just, yeah, that's normal. Another piece of the procedural puzzle, this is of course the whole Phoenix, and down here are all the jacks, and they're on different PCBs than all the modules. Uh, so to connect all the modules to their respective jacks, we have this interconnect board, which sits somewhere. Somewhat like this, not exactly the same version, but it connects everything together. Um, but one of the things that the scripts also did was generate the whole schematic for this board, so I cannot make routing mistakes or wiring mistakes. So the right jack is always connected to the right module without me having to think about it anymore. So this is just convenience after you have all the scripts running. There is, there is of course, a bigger risk that if you make yeah. <laughs> you know, a mistake in your, in your parameters of your system, then it's all gonna be screwed. But luckily, those those are because everything is screwed. Then you know it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing screwed is usually a work. It's, it's a bigger problem. Find, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where is the sentence coming from? This is this is from Doctor Who. This is um, Doctor Who realizing he's not a good or a bad man. He's just an idiot. This is uh, Doctor Who in general has been kind kind of an inspiration for Doctor the, Who. Yeah. That's who's our vibe. Yes. yes. Let's let's talk a little bit about inspiration. Um, I remember uh, we were talking on uh, on Discord and uh, Zifor was asking a question and you were like, you referenced the video of a Japanese guy explaining how a ball uh, uh, jumps from the water. Oh yeah. And you said, <laughs> I watch a video like this, I get four ideas for, mo for modules. Like, let, yeah. let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> uh, 
Well, there's, there's just so many beautiful patterns in, in, in almost anything in nature. The same with, with the violin and the simulation thing. Um, once you just carefully look at all these interactions going on everywhere, then uh, I, I, just, I, I see waveforms that I haven't seen on, in a waveform editor yet. Yeah. You have, you, have you, you see waveforms like, that you uh, haven't seen. Yeah, like like um, the, the whole simulation thing that you you, you uh, or if if you have your finger through through a, bo a box of water, you see all these swirls and chaos going on, and there's there's definitely a, a periodicity in it, so it means it must have a tone. Like but it's, <laughs> it's subsonic, but it's mm -hmm. it's a tone. So if you speed it up, what would it sound like? And if you take a slice out of this way or a slice out of it that way, and you it goes through the water back and forth. I have no clue, and it, but it shows more chaos and swirls and things in there than most synthesizers allow you to do. So that's mm -hmm. again that that one video of the guy with the, with the water ball. It's also about fish swimming and, and turbulence around fi uh, behind fishtails and well, the little vortexes. Yeah, all the vortices. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just just looking at the mathematics in there, sometimes these mathematical simplifications already show enough beautiful intricacy that I think it must sound amazing, but nobody's ever listened to it yet. So that, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of inspiration there, um, which is how we got to the wobbler. The whole point of the wobbler originally was um, to make double pendulums uh, audible, or at least usable. Um, for, the, for the people who don't know what a double pendulum is, it's like you have a stick hanging somewhere, and then from the end of the stick you have hanging a second stick, so it's uh, sort of loosely hanging on the underside. Mm -hmm. But if you give it enough of a kick, it becomes unpredictable. So uh, it's the smallest system you can build that shows uh, fractal and chaotic motion. But just, it's unpredictable, but it's not unexpected, if that makes sense. Still feels natural. It's yeah, but it's 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 always within a certain boundary that it's being random. It's, yeah. Um, so it's it's almost everything that we have in acoustic instruments, like a piano string. Uh, like a, a piano is is usually uh, two or more strings being hit by a hammer, and these strings interact. So they have a sort of double pendulum interaction inside the strings already towards each other. Modeling the entire piano string is quite difficult. Modeling a single double pendulum, we can do. So <laughs> taking the inspiration from, again, the, the smallest possible mathema mathematical system we can take away and simulate and make usable and ended up in, uh, as, the, as the core concept around which we build the rest of the Uber. So yeah, I think that, that, that that's sort of the, does that answer the question? It, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> well, the question about, was about inspiration. And I think yeah. that uh, uh, people would probably be, um, I mean, probably professionals who are watching this or not, but uh, I bet that a lot of people would think that the inspiration comes from music. Also, but rather, yeah. it, like, it could come from music, yeah. but I think that the, most, uh, the more interesting and out there ideas, they don't necessarily come from music, they just come from nature, from physics, from like just being curious about a certain um, phenomenon. Yeah. And, and, and you look at it and like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, if, if, we're, if I would be inspired by music itself, um, that music already exists. So <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm going to try and make uh, help out an artist go places that, that I didn't expect and he didn't expect, I better come up with something that hasn't been done yet. And then... Luckily, these are everywhere. <laughs> so, but there is it's literally <laughs> everywhere yeah. around you. Yeah, 
it's, it's a lens thing. I mean, to you, everything is physics, and then especially the physics of audio is very familiar to you. So uh, when you see that, that vortex water interaction, you think, oh, what would this sound like? That is not a very obvious question to have no. in your mind, but for him it is. So it's taking your way of how you understand the world and then making, making that work for you, putting that in and, the work. And yeah. at some point it becomes at the level, uh, like if I was a paint maker, and I uh, and I found uh, I find a new color blue, and if it's very strange, all these artists are painting, but I've never seen blue. Let's let's see what they will do if I give them blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that there was a moment in time, in like I don't know, a thousand years ago, that they came up with uh, with purple. Yeah, and it was yeah. like really exciting to come up with purple because it was so like it was not something you can. I mean, nature can produce purple, but we cannot produce nature. Uh, yeah, we cannot yeah, yeah, produce yeah. purple. Yeah. So that that feels a bit like the same that I'm I'm still sort of digging through all these w weird colors that, well yeah musical colors that that nobody's yeah. ever seen yet and it's it's up to me to select them and, and package them nicely and make them usable because a lot of these algorithms or ma mathematical structures are not by themselves in a musical form yet mm. so it becomes the challenge to tame them or yeah. Yeah, to tame them, to yeah. kind of like shape it, to to turn it into something musical is a yeah. whole different ballgame. But like mm -hmm. getting the inspiration from physics, like is is your background in physics? Uh, I don't. Have, yeah, I did one year of physics, so uh, technically, I'm not sure if that counts as a background. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I went in. I already went into physics to find out why why violin sounded nice. Why audio? So <laughs> my background. Well, is do you have like formal education? One, in, in one year of physics. Literally, this is your, yeah. your, your formal high. education is one year of physics. Yes. Okay. There is no. self-taught. He's okay. taught at universities. Yeah, yeah. I, I, universities. yeah that, that we discussed, right? Was yeah. it in, in Utrecht? He has uh, actually... Hochschule Utrecht. Also uh, Utrecht. Uh, Universiteit Utrecht also. And the lessons so he's taught the there, he hasn't actually graduated. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that, I, I dropped out because I... Well, there, there was this thing, uh, most teachers were there for teaching <laughs> and no longer for the love of physics and the guy that, uh, that did have the love for physics uh, left for Stanford. Um, he's now back, he's currently he's back. our Minister of uh, Education. Education. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was my first year teacher and he was amazing. He, he turned out to have uh, Rietveld art, art school background as well. So he was art and physics, mm. which was my perfect blend. Mm. But then he left, and I said, well, everybody else here is boring. Um, Mom, Dad, I'm going to drop out. Can I have some money for books? Because I will keep learning, but not there. And that's what happened. So I had a big pile of books, and a year later I was already teaching audio design at, uh, at some other school with I the stuff I learned. You know, this is also the period where you being a programmer and everybody that was teaching you had no idea what computers were doing. So that, that is a gigantic a mismatch. Yeah. 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 So I can do much more than you can. Why are you teaching me? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that all makes sense. <laughs> uh, so, so we we talked a little bit about uh, uh, the Phoenix, but this was not the first. Like you mentioned, uh, you actually had quite a lot of uh, experience releasing products, digital products. Yeah. Um, DSP, VST. Uh, um, what What yeah. were the first things that you actually launched to the world and said, uh, like, this is mine. Yeah. Well, VST and um, it was actually sort of 
initially VST was not a thing yet, um, as in Cubase made something that was effects only, but we were back then in the first tracker software that allowed plugins. Um, Cubase is like Ableton, but yeah. like really long yeah. time ago. <laughs> it's it just released a new version. <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry, somebody, sorry, Cubase somebody. people. Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, I, I don't use Cubase either. Uh, but the uh, halfway in the nineties, uh, Jescola Buzz was released, and it was a tracker. Like the, they have this almost Excel sheet style entering of notes, and you can. If you're handy with, with touch typing, you can enter melodies and stuff really, really fast. So compared to uh, piano roll editing, it's just lightning speed. Um, so I was using that to make music and it came with all the programming files you needed to make your own plugins. So that, because it was not really open source, but well, but freeware and open community, you could just take the API and make a plugin. And with, Places like Cubase, you had to sign away your uh, your soul and blood and whatever in, in NDAs and everything. But this is just open. You just get the file. So, oh, hey, let's see what this does. And you start typing something. Oh, this sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, you learn about uh, how to do it better. And uh, there was a very active chat room around it, which is still active uh, decades later. Um, and that's also where I met Laudi. That's also in the Phoenix. Um, and a whole bunch of other DSP programmers started in this tiny community for Jessica Buzz, making instrument and effect plugins that run on a Pentium 1, I think was the comp computer we had back then. So 100 megahertz, 133 megahertz. Uh, and from there, I was commissioned to make the curriculum software for uh, audio design at the Hochschool van Utrecht, make a modular synthesizer so students could practice sound design on an actual designable system instead of uh, doing it on paper, which I had to do before, or only in the schoolroom. This is a physical? No, no it's a digital Digi modular yeah. synth. Okay. Digital modular synth. Um, but wasn't there, like back then, the Nord and like other... Yeah, but the school then had one, they had 120 students, and they all had to do homework. Okay. So <laughs> they wanted something that they could just give the students to do the homework at home and learn these things without everybody having to pay thousands of guilders to have these machines. Yeah. It wasn't even their primary course, it was media technology. So they had uh, game design, they had uh, system design, mm -hmm. and then at some point they also had some audio. So there was uh, yeah, big investment per student, it wasn't impossible. So they just asked me to build him a system. And it interestingly ended up with us having a giant row about how synthesizers worked. With the he teacher. Was, yeah, with the teacher with that was uh, giving me this commission. Because he, he wanted me to implement things in a certain way. Because, yeah, since I work like this, you don't know, I built these things. They don't. <laughs> this is how they work. I mean, I've, I've just built it. Why are you complaining? But it, um, after some shouting back and forth, we, uh, he, he said something like, if you think you know everything, why are you not in front of this class? She said, okay. <laughs> so next week I was in front of 120 students going, hello. <laughs> Most of them being older than I was. Uh, trying to explain synthesis and he was coaching me to be a better teacher while I was teaching the students and that uh, ended up in a great cooperation for the for the next few years. Uh, still being a freelancer everywhere else but I was also a guest lecturer at, uh, at the school. Uh, that collapsed for various uh, organizational reasons. Organizational budgetary reasons. Yeah. <laughs> there was basically no budget anymore for external people. Mm. Um, but the synthesizer lives on, 
and that specific modular synthesizer uh, well it started in 2002 now and it's still the code base is still alive and I'm finally reviving a lot of it for the project project after Phoenix because we are going after the node modular we want to make a keyboard with software modular inside with a nice editor where you just connect the screen and the keyboard and then edit it in the device and sort of bring a hundred phoenixes with you instead of one. <laughs> that's right. So that's that's, that's uh, like the that's the next step. That's the next, the, the next ridiculous big thing. project. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ridiculous project, yeah. 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 <laughs> the next four years probably. Yeah. Meanwhile we're we're doing modules and we have some, some other spin-off modules coming and new modules coming. Yeah. But the the big thing is going to be the big fish, which has all this stuff built in. But the big, I mean, maybe it's not called the big fish. The, the no, small one that I saw, like the big fish. No, like on Instagram, I saw like a while, while back. That's goldfish. 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 Yeah. And the raspberry fish. And and and, yeah. and this <laughs> one's really for educational purposes, isn't it? No, well, or, it's, it's also. Um, I I think there should be no difference. Same with the phoenix. It's it's laid out so clear that if I want to explain synthesis to anyone, of course I put them behind the phoenix. It's just, it should be simple. Yeah. I have one one of our customers has. Three or how many did he end up? I think four, three or four. Uh, and he oh he opened the music school with that. He's like I've been wanting to do this for for some time now. This is the perfect instrument to do this with. I want a bunch, and I'm just and he opened the music school with that. Yay! And and, and it is it is it's here in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And he's just working with uh, with uh, three phoenixes. Yeah, I think three, three or four. Like I don't he know. started it with four. one for himself, and yeah. then he came up with this idea. He asked for seven. I was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. I think he ended up with three or four. Yeah. yeah. Is mean, it here in Amsterdam? No, no. So okay. I'm, uh, almost against the German border. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. But that's really good. So the uh, yeah. the big fish itself, it's going to be educational for everybody so not just for in education but if you're opening up and you have the editor in front of you if you have a filter um well of course there's hundreds of different filters and the eventual plan is to have all of them and you click on that you get the full history of why this filter and comparisons against other filters and easy ways to listen to all of them and i think that should be in there because we have it and we we want to make it all open source we want to make give all the algorithms for everybody to look at because they're just as interesting as the user them uh, using them musically. But also, so. as many people, how they use the, the Nord is just as a keyboard. Mm -hmm. So you, there, there are going to be like four layers of interaction, but each layer you can ignore the other ones if you're not interested in that. So you can just play it as a synthesizer and not open up you know, the architecture of how this particular sound works, that's fine. Ah. Or you can have uh, like sound banks of other people have made synthesizers loaded in there. Yeah. You bought uh, it's not even a, the Nord modular; it's a Nord Nord lead lead. And um, after four or five years, it still had you know the factory settings it comes with. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the other the other person was really using it and was getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. And made he makes music with it, but he just never went beyond. That's so actually how, I mean, there is a Nord over there, right? Yeah. A, the, yeah. It's a Nord lead. Yeah. I used to play that, like, when we used to play jazz, like, this was one of the main instruments that people have. Like, yeah. professional would have that. But no one talked about the, uh, the Nord modular. They were just like, this sounds really, really good. But but yeah. even as a synthesizer, he just, none of the factory sounds had anything changed. Yeah. 
Um, he has one. He has one. Yeah. <laughs> He's this, very this happy is, with it. This yeah. is really how you like gave yourself the constraint. Yeah, or the reverse like, of constraints. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, it's more his permission. Like, yeah. Because uh, it's it's not just okay. I'm building this for you, but it's more of a if I can give you something that allows you to make music this way or in a better way, then I feel I've done something doing worthwhile. I think it's more yeah. that kind of... So it's yeah. more permission than... Yeah. But, but it's to have a target f to do it for. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. because indeed um, it's kind of an, ex an extreme sport making good sounds and then using them musically in a relevant way because some, some sort of coffee table bleeps and bloops. Well, you can make that. That's sort of an interesting object for, for a few minutes. But somebody that makes music for the ages, I don't know many people that would use a modular for that directly. We've met a bunch of them since Phoenix. Mm. But I was sort of, okay, I need to have one person that I know would use this machine. And it was just him. Yeah. Um, and I'm also happy. I know a few Phoenixes are in beautiful like home studios of people who make music for themselves or sound. Never produce a damn thing to the rest of the world. Yeah. That is a, also I, fine. I don't mind that either. I like it. Feels very intimate while at the same time being super distant. Like I've made this thing, this that is a very intimate process for you. And we've made that for you now. Go have fun. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's the the reverse of uh, this is going to end up in something that is going to reach millions, but they won't ever know. The artist will know, but the people that he has a big reach with never know what instruments are being used generally so yeah. there, there's also that going on yeah and and for, for big fish I, I i point at myself like i'm i'm the target audience at least for the building side of things but it's it's such a meta thing like i'm building a meta modular for other sound designers to give to other well for other modular users to give to sound designers to give to players so if i'm at the beginning of the chain and i can make people like me and me happy building the best blocks in the system, then the second layer is going to be happy in the third layer. So it's, it seems like this time I should start there and then the rest will be fine. Yeah. And um, I know a lot of other DSP programmers, um, a lot of them uh, also academia, in academia, and most of that stuff strands in a paper, which is a bit sad, I think, because they write a paper about it and they publish it in some journal and not even a single plugin ever appears from it that any musician can actually try what's in that paper. But if I have this really easy to live code platform that I can just give to one of these academics, so you've made a nice paper, would you like to try your own paper? Then of course they will implement that algorithm and hopefully share it with the rest of the world. And since we're all going open source anyway, then suddenly we have unlocked academia into musicians' hands. So that, that felt like uh, a good place to go. Yeah. A good goal to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, Feels worthy. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of. <laughs> I spend time on something. I should do something that would uh, be meaningful. That sounds like something yeah. meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Just just bridge science and art a bit more, um, but also unlock uh, the beauty of the insights more to the people that otherwise would never find out. Like we have a whole bunch of artwork inside the Phoenix. You already send uh, screenshots of you. You've made some pictures of that, but. We are really proud of the code we brought. We are really proud of the algorithms. We can't show anyone. <laughs> so as, uh, if you open it up and you click on it, you can actually see it. Okay, <laughs> now we're talking. So then um, we can show the world more 
what we cared about instead of the, the pretty packaging, which is also important, but it's not where I spend 95% of my time. Yeah. Are, there, are there any um, music instrument designers you really admire? Uh, well, Bert and Felix, of course, from, the, from Sinton. Who else? Uh... I don't know if that's from the inside, but I really yeah. like the guys from Dato. Just they oh, made yeah. this really... Dato from Utrecht. Yeah. 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 I, I, like, I really want to go to their offices, to their studio and, and workshop. Um, yeah, we, we're in yeah. contact, yeah. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Yes, but yes. They <laughs> super like, easy to use, but uh, often easy to use and playful means um, not deep enough. But this is actually usable. You get like really, really nice sounds from it, really nice things from it, instead of just beep, beep, and sort of ends there. Uh, yeah. Motor from Sydney. Yes. It's, yeah, but that's um, more. That's like from the appreciation on what it runs on. Also, on yeah. Also, also the um, at some point, well, everybody is always uh, going on about uh, uh, Buchla and Mauch, um, but the world didn't start there, and uh, or the audio didn't start there. So the, there's a whole bunch of older patents and older devices that are completely forgotten. They may not sound as controllable or nice as a Moog filter or a Buchle RPG or whatever, but there are all these ancient filter designs and uh, Metro Modular is one of the guys that goes into the history of all these things and builds the Eurorack modules of all the stuff that was there before the battle was won. And that I really admire. It's completely analog as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's uh, instead of transistor letters, you get switched capacitor filters because of all these crazy things that, yeah, there was no transistor, so I had to do something, and they did. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, or, or uh, no resistors or no uh, no capacitors or whatever they had. Every filter that he has has a sort of weird historical limitation to it, and they sound unique. Yeah, and that's often lost these days. So I, I really admire uh, what, what he's doing. Uh, Making sound machines, of course. Yes, and Laudi. Yeah, Laudi has not released any of his own stuff no, yet. No, but it's coming. <laughs> it's going to be good. Yeah, Fashki <laughs> yeah. Embedded going to release something soon. Um, Phoenix was pretty much uh, uh, his first big foray into not working for a corporate anymore, but, but building his own thing. So yeah. now he's, um, he's gained enough confidence to also release his, uh, his own product. So, hey. Soon and making sound machines, uh, they are our beta testers as well. Uh, we also know them from the same chat room, from the same Jessica Bus chat room from way back. Um, they are also coming out with their own first modules very soon now, and it comes from very music theory background. It's, uh, yeah, he he um, comes from like classical musical yeah. education, and then worked for the, the movie. Film yeah. production, you know, movie score production movie house. Score. Yeah, he's a composer. Day, uh, composing things and then sending it off to to Eastern country to get it so performed by orchestras. This is a, a beat pattern generator that generates offbeat patterns. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Stomper beats like super groovy hip hop beats that are yeah. all slightly off, but yeah. correctly slightly off. Oh, yes, correctly <laughs> slightly off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let, let, let's talk about uh, the early process of designing an instrument. Um, 
I understand it comes like the inspir where the inspiration comes from, but then you need to like do you first of all write code or do you first of all sketch on paper? Do you have like a diagram, like a notebook with like diagrams? Ooh, oh, it's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, we ha I have all of that, uh, but which first I don't know. <laughs> one, one of the things, if you have something else, um, sometimes there's just a component that triggers the whole thing. And in this case, this tiny thing. It's a screen. It's a screen? Yeah. It's a round screen, and of course this this is what I I'm, I'm considering for the big fish. But then uh, a part of the design. Yeah, we were talking the, uh, about that on Discord, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this this is the kind of stuff like suddenly everything almost clicks into place. I look at the screen and say, oh, I can see the whole thing around this, and then. This and then, the <laughs> and then do you do you like do you sketch it for? Like... I, 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 uh, last time I I did sketch it by literally just putting it on here and putting the keypad in front and all the knobs around it where I think they should be and, so <laughs> and then wipe it away again so okay I'll, I'll get back to it in, in a proper design software later but I think this might work so do you sketch in the, in the in keycad uh, affinity designer if I'm doing the uh, product sketch usually. right um, is that on this computer uh, for the keyboard, not yet. I have affinity with well, for, for, for something else. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like if you could like open a couple of files, if you don't mind. Uh, I think course. it would be really interesting to see. Um, but it, it's always yeah. Somebody else also asked this. The um, first, there has to be a, a global understanding of what's roughly on there. Then I go uh, in into Affinity Designer and and do a rough sketch of where I think everything should be. Mm -hmm. Then I make the the electronics that's pretty much follows that shape um, and there's already some some experience in there like the, the magic is always where to hide the chips there's there's it's a single it's it's all the components are between the PCB and and the, and the front panel but there's no obvious place where you'd say well there's a big fat microcontroller just sitting there yeah so it's it's always um, uh, I, I do the front panel then I try to get it fitting and then with, with great pain in my heart I'm sometimes adjust the design a bit because the chip really doesn't fit <laughs> but m these days mostly when when I'm done in infinity it should uh, it should fit yeah so you uh, is this also part of the constraint that you give yourself that it has to be only one PCB uh, it's, it's if it really doesn't fit it doesn't fit and we go to the second one but for um, for manufacturing purposes, this is just a nice way to contain it. We aim to uh, have it all that way. Yeah, because now there's also no parts that you can accidentally touch because most people have their Eurorack open half the time. So if something scratches or falls, mm. you can't break anything. It's also uh, automatic shielding of everything because everything is between the front panel and copper planes. So it helps a tiny bit. And also, yeah, it's, it's just a single manufacturing step. It's uh, uh, SMD parts, uh, if, you, if you put them on a board, if, you, if I put them on this side, I would have to hand solder all the jacks. But if they're on the other side, this can go on a wave solder machine and can be done automated. So ideally, all the parts fit on the same side as all the jacks and the knobs are. But it's, yeah, depends yeah, on so, it. Yeah, so, so not only you're designing the interface, like there are a lot of different things you need to take into account here. You mm -hmm. need to think about, first of all, the user that's going to use it and enough space for uh, yeah. uh, thick knobs. 
yes. but then you also need to think about the way that this is going to be manufactured um, and, and soldered um, yeah. by someone or by a machine and like how do yeah. you make sure that it is actually something that is feasible like yeah. you don't need to spend out two or two hours on building one thing because then it's not really uh yeah. It's yeah. Not, yeah not economically feasible still maybe no. still worth it but not <laughs> yeah i know but it's, yeah. it's another 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 thing that you need to really consider because then someone actually needs to do that otherwise you just do it for yourself which is Some, yeah. Another thing, it can yeah. be a lot of Sometimes, fun, yeah. but like this is this is a huge channel, a cha channel challenge, challenge. Yeah. because it's actually for manufacturing. You need to think about another layer of, of yeah. complexity that's added to it. And I think a, that a bunch of that is is natural to you now because we have experience in that yeah. already, and especially since the Phoenix, a lot more experience, uh, more and more challenging than the little modules, mm -hmm. but. Um, We discussed this. We were also um, involved in some uh, like hacker spaces, hacker camps, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. that we called the Kickstarter problem. It is just a completely different world Don't to make one it. than to manufacture. Yeah. Your, your prototype and what we call a golden prototype is the one is challenging what you want to make, if it's feasible to make at all. And the other one is, and now can I make have it made from feasible? From, is it possible to make? Yeah, how to make it? But yeah. so the one tests your concept. Will the circuit work? Will I actually like it? Blah blah blah. And then you need a second test. So now can I redesign this if necessary in order to be manufactured? Huh. Yeah, an entirely different challenge. Yeah. Yes, certainly. And the, with the Phoenix, we already knew in advance that. This is not the way to manufacture this kind of thing. So involved. Oh <laughs> There's just too many test points to ever to do everything. So we made it relatively heavy on human testing in the end. Um, we have a whole bunch of specific test jigs to, to test for various things. Yeah, maybe you can share this thing yeah. here. And one and these three. Uh, one relatively simple test is to see if this thing actually connects what it says it should connect so this this fits on here and slots in and it just lights up everything that connects properly and if it doesn't there's a light off and somebody has to go in and fix whatever is wrong so this this was uh, uh, we designed the test board and used it for one afternoon and then The test is obsolete because we're only going to test a hundred things. This is just really throw away one off. Um, then a more involved one is this one. Um, this do I have a jet board? Uh, there was a jet board here. here. No. Oh, shit. Uh, here uh, a, a board with all the jacks goes on and uh, a cable plugs in and every jack has to be tested to see if it's me mechanically okay so somebody has to go and plug it all in and the screen will tell you which jacks have not worked or if it's uh, defaulting action is okay or not or yeah and the same there but at some point we we <laughs> had a really weird problem um, where some of these jacks even after testing they were still failing so we made a second testing that we could test after it's been screwed onto the front panel. You can plug in the test board there and the screen on the back and see what the difference was. And it turned out that if, if it was soldered wrong here and the ring was pulled too tight, it would pull the plastic up, which would break the inside of the jack 
<laughs> but you have to build these test jigs to even find out that this could could actually happen. Yeah, and then uh, during a project like this, you you find out the new ways that things can go wrong every day. <laughs> uh, and the bigger, the biggest test jig. This is what I actually want to show. Yay! Uh, uh, and a more involved test jig here. This is this whole clump of stuff. Um, each board here simulates two patch cables. So we can plug in a board here. Part of, these are all parts of the Phoenix that can go around this. And with these boards and this, we can on the fly simulate new patch cables and test signals. So we can, every connection point towards this board gets bombarded with all kinds of uh, automated test things that tells you not put this knob left, not put not that knob right, press enter. Shows you what the center frequency of the filter is. Oh, this this filter is okay. Now do this. Now do that. Now do that. And spits out a big test report on the laptop. I end up building tons of these contraptions. Uh, and specifically for an analog synthesizer, you only learn what you've built once you've actually written the test script and know the boundaries for everything. Because it's uh, in the initial design stage, it's not quite as obvious where it can go drift into wrongness. Like, when is a sawtooth a sawtooth? So. <laughs> we didn't know! Yes, we can look at the spectrum, but then if you really zoom in on all tiny bits and how, how it can all go out of range or out of spec. And, uh, <laughs> on the one hand, your tests get broader and more specific. So this is what we allow and this is what we really need to be right. Can we uh, look at interface design? Yes. Which bits? Uh, on, on, uh, on the screen, I guess, but anything uh, that you would find interesting to show yeah, yeah. can also be on paper. I have stuff that I'm working on right now, and there's stuff that's already gone into production. As I understand, this is a new module that is not out yet. Yeah, so it, it's it's out in limited form in the Phoenix, because it's the, the Phoenix reverb but expanded. So in, inside the dual delay, there, there, there just has five knobs and two buttons. Uh, this one is, is obviously bigger. It's also because the uh, the Phoenix reverb turned. Well, but while we were building it, we, we found out we uh, we had more to say with the algorithm than uh, than than was actually possible with the front panel because the, the software often gets developed way beyond when the hardware is actually finished. The software is never finished. You can always do something better, faster, nicer. Um, but in this case, we. Uh, uh, or at least I really wanted to expose all the parameters that we have on the inside on a real module and in general I, I tried to make a sort of top left bottom right flow to things or left to right top to bottom um, the, the order in which I take those two is a bit variable still um, but I, I tried to make the story of the module go in, in at least a conscious direction so there's uh, there's uh, on the Phoenix. I, I settled for something like there's uh, the usual signal flow goes from top left to bottom right. Like there's the oscillators on this side, the output on the, on, on the bottom side, and anything that happens with it, either you take a detour through a filter on the top, 
and you modulate it somewhere from the bottom left with your left hand. So you're you're always having dedicated functions for left and right hand across the, the whole design and then each submodule is a sort of fractal of zoom out of the same type of flow into it. So there's always inputs, outputs and something modulation and, and detours on the on the right. So, um, for the Phoenix we got to do the whole thing of course, but here for the reverb module we have uh, the same kind of thing going on. So there's input going to the output that's, that's currently this way around. Then there's a detour through styles and pitch shifters and there's a whole bunch of control coming from the bottom corner. Um, right now it's still sort of a jumbly mess. Um, because I originally was trying to make some sort of star constellations because the reverb is called space and since we're distant rocket science we have to do at least one space themed module and if we're going to do one space theme module we have to go all out. <laughs> so this is a, uh, this is going to be a, I was trying to make a sort of star constellation thing that then that was a bit too busy even compared to our other crinkly designs it was uh, interfering a bit too much with the function so then together with a friend um, he was uh, uh, drawing some artwork with pastels based on some concepts that I was uh, discussing with him so now I'm trying to figure out if the shapes that come from that artwork are maybe relevant to be using as a sort of design grid almost to, to space the, the controls around uh, because the constellations are isolating functionality groups too much but it's one reverb so actually everything should be connected as one constellation no constellations don't work so how can we make uh, in this this case there's these two weird aliens looking at the tiny rocket uh, with the same aliens recursively around themselves so there, there's this whole thrust effect style thing going on there um, but they can together be looking at the reverb core in the center and then there's they can be controlling it while also looking at themselves inside so there's, there's a bunch of self-analysis things underneath and there's a bunch of parameters that control the core and there's parameters for the core which is how I'm now uh, trying to group these things together as a big story. And and I see also that there are like a bunch of other modules on, on the screen like how what is the creative process on, on something like this? Um, uh, well, of, of, of course at some point I have a plan for some sort of algorithm I want to package in something. Um, so at first, first there's uh, I have a rough rough mental map of what, what kind of electronics I need to make that possible. I have a bunch of modes I might want to have like three or four or five LEDs to to signify something, and I start just just blending them together with the same kind of flow, uh, inputs and outputs, and sort of having a uh, yeah, almost like one of those yin yang uh, mo movement patterns around the the whole interface, um, and then it's trying to squeeze all the uh, components in a way that you'll never know that there's actually electronics behind it. So it's always trying to come up with something that uh, looks nice, works nice, and also hides the fact that it has to be manufactured. Because uh, that, that's not a concession I'm, I'm willing to easily make. Uh, but it, it, as you can also see here, the, this, the Tuesday was the first time we ever did. This is a lot more driven by technology still than the Wobbler and the Edge Cutter were. So it's also there, there's a whole progression in how handy I've, uh, I'm getting in actually knowing where things can go and how much components, how big components are actually going to end up on the board uh, in between that. So for, from here, I usually, uh, I, once I have this, I 
go into KiCad or uh, I have a KiCad version of uh, of the new wobbler here, um, and then I build the whole thing in 3D. Uh, well, first in schematic, but then KiCad also has this nice 3D view of everything, um, and from here I re-export the uh, the exact drill holes of everything because this is usually slightly more grid aligned than it was in Affinity Designer. Um, so then from here I re-export all the holes and then in, in Affinity I overlay the holes where they actually end up and then I uh, adjust the design from there and then uh, before I, <laughs> um, I adjust the design from there and after that I usually apply one of these procedural generated mesh network layers or some other uh, this was well, this was my next question like is this truly regenerative yeah did you write the code for this as well yes uh, not just for this it's uh it's for marriage i mean we are a tiny factory uh, family company so where i originally wrote the patterns for is this this is the <laughs> is an existing pattern. Yeah, it's it's Maybe based right on now. infinitely irregular tilings. So it's uh, it's sort of the anti-fractal. It's similar but never the same in an infinite field. Which um, I thought was a fantastic metaphor for marriage. So my everyday might look the same but slightly none, different. None are identical. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's so, a beautiful way of looking at life in general. Yeah, so this, so this whole family of patterns I uh, I explored for a long time and then well, the Phoenix has, has a more regular one because it, uh, it was irregular enough that I, I went with a regular fracturing pattern for that, but, but also procedural. But for the modules, I, th I really think that this is just makes a nice, not too obvious, but still very present pattern in there. It has, a, it has an organic quality to it while still being very rigidly defined somewhere. And what's with the yellow? I like yellow. <laughs> Makes me happy. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's a very valid question. Let's have a look at some of the questions in Discord. I think that you've covered so many things. Let's yeah. just have a look at some where, of where, what where other people thing? were uh, uh, asking. We have interview questions. Yeah. Okay, that's quite top. Uh, let's get. Uh, how did cacao ritual go? Yeah, uh, it went. <laughs> if we knew ahead of time it was cacao related, we may have said no, but we made a nice live concert at the cacao yeah, ritual. Lots of people enjoyed it. There were some. So we had uh, two phoenixes and a, a modular, a small modular setup, and one person came to it and was like, oh, is this a, like a light therapy, color therapy, uh, color therapy thing? Went, no. <laughs> and one person was so upset that the music was going to be uh, electronically made that she refused to, to partake and she stayed outside. But most people just enjoyed what you know what came out of it, and it's it, it's not hard to make an etherical experience with a uh, with a modular setup. You just go slow, and I added some vocals and some breathing, so everybody comes in. And you have, it's a church, so there's already a massive amount of reverb happening. And you just very into your microphone go, welcome, relax. You know, it's, <laughs> yay. Yeah, yeah, so we had fun there. Yeah. Uh, we did do a few, like, polyrhythms that were going 
sort of in, in, in each other where I was like, okay, I get that you're really enjoying this right now, but most people are laying there and going, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what is this? When will it resolve itself? Uh, eventually, yeah. maybe. Eventually, maybe. <laughs> Right, next question. Well, what would you say are the differences between designing and working with a monolithic modular synth like Phoenix and modules in a mix and match your rack or other modular synth from another point of view, design development, creative flow, performance, selling points, etc. Uh, yeah, we, we covered a lot of yeah, that. Yeah, I think we covered that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, an instrument is an instrument, so you, you can learn to play it. Designing it is uh, bigger. Bigger, it's but also project. the modules themselves can be more focused because okay. I don't need to supply the utilities because the utilities are already on the system. So uh, where otherwise you would include attenuators on everything in this machine, they're just sort of in a central area. If you want to attenuate, that's there. You can design within so your own context. Yeah, you, you can have a unified design language. You can have unified aesthetics for all the the color coding. So, yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of things easier because you don't have to prepare people to interface your thing with their thing. So that's <laughs> the last one said like sales, I think. So economically it's uh it's it's a bigger yeah a bigger everything. It's a bigger investment, it's a bigger time, it's a bigger project, but there's also a bigger payoff if if it works out. So And we've met a whole bunch of really interesting bigger clients as well. Yes. So the the payoff has been uh the emotional payoff has been much bigger than with the modules too. We got to see some interesting concerts. Yeah. yeah. Do we do we elaborate or not? Uh, nah. Well, it's, nah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's on our uh, Instagram, yeah. I think, also. So we know that uh, the Zimmer is on tour right now, and there are two Phoenixes on on his stage, which surprised us because he got them not long before the tour started. So we were surprised that he would make this. Um, decision of taking a fairly must be unknown instrument to him so i th i guess it's also doing the simpler things because i don't see how there could be any it, time it, to discover it properly it's, it's completely plugged up tons of patch cables going in so i don't know what they've been doing but they've, they've enjoyed themselves and so <laughs> on a very different end of the spectrum tool which is a um yeah, psychedelic rock. Yeah. What do you call this? Tool. Yeah. Tool. I, I think that our, our fans know Tool. No Tool. Yeah. Well, Tool is touring with... A... With the Phoenix. Now. Yes. How yeah. awesome that must be. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit, a, the first like, concert uh, that we knew of, we were sort of like, okay, oh, please shit. don't let the phone ring. Like, <laughs> 20,000 people and the thing explodes. No, <laughs> we killed Danny. No. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. But it's yeah. going very well. That a is weird. a huge achievement. Yeah. yeah. So, so for that, also a, a different world opens up that um, in both cases, so I was in contact with the person himself but then it quickly goes towards the um the team because these are moving organizations you know they're huge. they have their own roadies tech and support departments so you uh, suddenly talking with all these people because uh, for the tool case it's really built into a tour case and we have the um, the big plugs on the back and uh, somebody built something around it so that comes to the front and it, it's patched in that it cannot be touched. That goes a lid over it, and you know, do not fuck with this shit. Kind and of, yeah, it's made. night after night. They yeah, go yeah, on. yeah. So uh, then, yeah, there's just use cases that you would. Okay, I I didn't think it was going to be doing that, but sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, but with single modules, this this 
doesn't really happen this way. Or you don't um, know about Or you don't know, or, yeah, uh, yeah so, so with, with building the system, the, the, yeah, the, the context com becomes bigger as well. But that's fun, <laughs> lots of fun. Uh, so yeah, I, th I think that that's, that's definitely that question. Uh, then we have, I would love to see how you plan in your general process, oh, planning. Uh, yeah. yeah, we did. We did. We did cover the process yeah. of how you actually develop things. Yeah. Um, but how how I plan? Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> brainstorm concept design. Hope, yeah. And how it affects the UI. Yeah, we pretty yeah. much covered this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Merchandise-driven development. Yeah, that's also something we tend to do. <laughs> the first thing that was done on the Phoenix was actually the logo, which became a tiny pin. Like this would just just. <laughs> So after the logo was done, oh, the rest is easy. <laughs> so the Phoenix part of that yeah. is actually not ours. It yeah. already existed, but we added the colors behind it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the tiny hypercube. It's a friend of ours made yeah. a hypercube that's in there. Yeah. And it's, of course, CV controllable because. Of course yeah, it is. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Uh, but also, yeah, merchandise development for the space reverb. We already have a whole bunch of the merchandise that we're going to ship with the module before the module is ever done. But we are just uh, the story seems to write itself, and especially these have a part shortage. You better order it now, or you'll never have it. So just, just uh, mm. yeah. And I think we we're also it's very much for ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, it's also a business, but it's also very much for ourselves. So we have to like what we're doing, and I'm mean, like as in giggle. Yeah. Sort of, <laughs> and there are puns and you know things hidden on the insides of boards, and there's, yeah, there's there's always story around it. Yeah. There's always a lot of story. You also have your own patch cables, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and space even has its own dedicated patch cables now. Yeah. Uh, its own dedicated space. <laughs> Do you have some here? Oh. Sneaky preview. So yeah, that's one of the giggles that we had. Oh, Again, with, with the design this. space, of course, we need to have our own glow in the dark rocket patch cable specifically for space. Because, yeah. <laughs> what else? <laughs> but it's, it's once you have all the details um, lined up, then you cannot ignore the last few details. It's just they become glaring voids. So then we see this. Yeah, now we cannot unsee this. We need to have this. <laughs> So yeah, it's we, a little ideas and like you need to decide if you're going to invest in them or not. Yeah. It and seems like you do. <laughs> and there's always things that invite people to be more playful, to be more like, it's, it's a very serious instrument on the inside, but it also is bright yellow and it has glow-in-the-dark cables and it comes colorful things, you know. So we like that seemingly contradiction because it doesn't have to be. It looks like a, my, my first tint. But it's a very deep and, and complex instrument on so the inside. Again, with the Doctor Who reference. Yeah. It's this weird ancient alien that's smarter than everybody in the room, but you wouldn't see if you, if you saw him bouncing around. So a uh, bit of the same vibe to it. Yeah. And also, yeah, again, the, 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 the next thing that, that's on the Discord. You need a new suit? Yes, every time I design something, it needs dedicated suit. Because <laughs> how else am I going to do it? <laughs> But this is, uh, people may think this thing is a joke, but I am going to order this thing <laughs> or something like it. We'll have to book the tailor soon. Uh, are you going to, uh, to super booth with it? Uh, well, well no, this is for the space, I think. No, this is just for Big Fish. Oh, that's for the yeah, Big Fish. Yeah, for, for space, I think it's going to be a full silver for suit helmet. With, a, with, a, with space helmet. Yeah. 
for for Phoenix, I actually have a gray suit with with uh, with all the rainbow things. Uh, for the modules, I have actually our wedding suit, which is matching green and uh, with with yellow and everything. So yes, this is, this is a lifestyle decision. So what else do we have? Most inspiring instrument I have played. What effect did it have on me? Um, that's that's weird. I think mm. the Phoenix itself by now. Um, that's actually finding out that it works even when heavily intoxicated, sort of reaching into the sound directly. That was sort of oh right, this can go places I didn't expect. That's uh. But you also have yeah. a lot of other instruments uh, like around me here. Yeah. There. There's, there's dozens. Lots of, of synthesizers and things. Of synths, modules. Uh, yeah. yeah, but also there's a dig somewhere. <laughs> Did you do? Yeah. yeah. We used to have a whole drum kit. Um, Exploring. Um, there's a trombone upstairs. The DX7 yeah. over there. Yeah. But those, those are not the, um, in, in terms of inspiring. Um, originally, I, I was playing with the JD990 and when, I, when I was like 10 years old. Then I really wanted to make music. But I couldn't afford it, so I went home and learned how to program. That was pretty much the order in which that, that went. So that that's, must be one of the most inspiring things, because it, it's the one that made me pick up programming. But it wasn't really in terms of sounds that I, that I must have that sound that the JD990 was so, uh, so amazing for that. It's, it's a classic, but it's not a hair-raising classic. I mean, the 303 is, of course, uh, the one thing that always gets my hairs raising. But as an instrument, it's actually horrible to use. Uh, almost every 303 clone out there, except the Binninger one, has a better UI than the original 303. <laughs> That's the one thing that cloned too good. <laughs> just, just <laughs> Clo yeah. <laughs> what else do we have? Prototyping process. Well, yeah, we also covered a lot of that. So yes, we, we do mini, mini modules, but um, we, we wrote the software to, to actually combine those mini modules on PCBs by themselves. So, yeah, it's, it's a very modular way of building these big systems. What does it um, mean with forcing it to work? So I don't know. Um, I, you're probably just hacking and, and tweaking it. Uh, of course, we also do that, but we also prototype in subchunks before. Yeah. And at the, at the end, of course, the, the modules themselves are isolated enough that we can still just sort of unpower the rest around it and only power the troublesome area and then uh, debug it on the board. But these days, making new PCBs is so cheap that usually, well, if, if on the gigantic slab it turns out that the middle doesn't work, just disable the middle, do a new prototype for the one in the middle with, with some fix, and then maybe once you figure it out on the on the tiny thing, fix the big board again to have uh, uh, the working full prototype. Or as would happen with the exploded phaser, that we just really saw out the phaser and just temporarily put the, the working one in. Um, the so then the question about cost, I think. Yeah. So he's, he's referring this EV blog yeah. uh, himself, which we think is... A, Perfect right. explanation. Yeah. If, uh, and he goes to 2.5 times COGS. We actually go with 5 or 6 for modules and, and projects because the, the production runs are very slow, uh, very small. And the uh, uh, software development overhead is very large. Yeah. So um, just building the boards and manufacturing boards is just not the whole story. 
and we don't really have a long enough run to split out the development cost over uh, like a thousand units uh, production run. Uh, so the, the multiplier is a bit higher. But for Phoenix, we started out with, well, the target price for such a system, we decided 5,000 um, before anything else. Like we want to make a full instrument, 5,000 is the budget, that means about a thousand cogs. Um, so what can we do within that? And then you asked, can you build what what you intend to build for that thousand? Yeah, can you get close to it? Yeah, but can the answer was roughly yes. Roughly yes. And, and then, then we, we did some years. like first estimates, bomb costs and things. Um, yeah, and we ended so budget wise. Uh, I think I told you this before. We ended up within a hundred euros of our estimate. Over four years. Uh, but two years too long. Yes. So, <laughs> so this is like, that, really good. Other part, not so good. Yeah. Um, so is it risky? Uh, well, yes, but everything is. And uh, is it a big investment? Yeah. And how do we do that? We had the good fortune of having our own investment. So we could just bankroll ourselves, which also to us at least gives us more of a sense of freedom. Like if this goes south, at least it's just, you know, we're just ruining our own money. And yeah, of and course, we, you don't aim for that. You aim for it to succeed. But no people breathing down our necks. Yeah, no breathing. Because then the two years that we took longer than we expected would have been, you know, a huge, huge issue. And um, one year of that, about one year of that, is just us underestimating how difficult it was going to be and how much could go wrong in uh, prototyping and assembly. And another year is pandemic and chip shortage. Just, yeah, taking yeah. that out. So, uh, and we, we continuously, so we always start by thinking about, okay, how much do we know? So planning is your estimation of the future. Yeah, known knowns, known unknowns, and non unknowns. And then attach numbers to all of that. Attach it to the time, to the amount of people you need, to the cost that you have, and just start by doing the math. But once you get to closest to your first prototype, readjust, because your numbers should be more certain now. And we continuously update uh, your first guess into, you know, a more and more certain uh, equation of, of what it's going to look like. And we, yeah, we're still pretty close to our first estimate. That pretty much yeah. worked out. Let me add a little sub-question to this. Uh, you were talking about merchandise. Do you, like, when you make these uh, 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 cables, like, you actually need to, I think it's like 350 euros, as far as I checked, just for creating the mold yeah. with, with your logo? Yeah. Like, do you, is there an Excel sheet somewhere that you were, like, really putting this in, or you're like, no, that's uh, just fun for me to do? At originally, we had an Excel sheet where the mold was included, but by now yeah. we have reused the same mold for years already. So um, okay, so but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, okay. So this is a cost that you've done already back then, and now you just need to reorder. Yeah. yeah. Bookkeeping wise, we um, uh, how do you say that? We um, book everything always within one year, so we don't have because you could think like I'm going to use this mold on my cables for the next five years so I'm going to spread this cost of that over the next five years or the machine that we bought we're going to use this for six years blah, blah, blah. we do none of that everything is always within one book year yeah. so in one book year it might be that you're actually now spending more than what you would actually make yeah. in oh, these yeah. four years yeah yeah we have in the past four years because 
one of the things we did not do so well is we intended to keep making modules while also building the Phoenix and having that module making be sort of our continuous income uh, throughout the project. And I think we did this for uh, the first year, year yeah. and, and maybe the last year, sort of, because now we have modules out again. But in the middle part, we dropped that because it was just, it was too much. Also was, impossible, there were no chips. There were no chips, but so it was also just, just, there was too much work. And there, uh, well, I usually say it's only one head, but in this case it was two heads, you and Lauri, that, that are doing all this work. And there's, that's your biggest constraint. Yeah. Hard to split. Also, I would also add the reverse of the risk. There's also the risk of not doing it. Um, specifically for uh, like all the plants with big fish, not having done the phoenix is a large risk to the big fish because this is just our way of showing the world that we can actually do this. So now we have some hundred of something in the world that gives people the confidence to uh, maybe allow us thousands of something in the world. So there's... It was also an investigation in manufacturing yeah. of new things that we were not familiar with yet. We're more familiar with now. But it seems like for every project we always want to go a step further in what you need to build to build the thing, how we manufacture it. Um, yeah, so a lot of what we've learned we can use in the next project, but it's also like every time you reach a mountain, you see, oh, there's this other also interesting mountain that I can, that I didn't see from over back there, but I can see it now that I'm here. So you see different ways of manufacturing, maybe. So the idea at the moment for the big fish is to maybe have our own little uh, factory line and do a lot of the uh, assembly, uh, yeah, automated assembly, assembly work yeah. ourselves. Poss but it's still very much a possibly, possibly. This is definitely not going to happen in the basement anymore. No, it's, it's too big. Yes. Even the Phoenix was already sort of put the house to bursting. Is yeah. the, uh, yeah, can you get one of those bags, please? Bags. The bag, oh, the one bag, one of the empty bags. Because yeah. like, again, with the merchandise, um, we, we do believe in batteries included everything. So yes. people bought the Phoenix and they, they get the nice gig bag with it. But then the reality of, oh, we make a gig bag. So yay, we have a gig bag. Um, but then you, you, for some reason, I always forget to think about what it means to actually order enough gig bags for everyone. And then we had this the whole living room full of these gigantic cubes of 100, 120 of these gig bags. <laughs> so uh, yeah, our house was, was getting a bit small for just storing the components while we were building the Phoenix. So we spent a lot of time rebuilding the storage storage rooms over there, yeah. just just sort of tetris everything in until everything is done. And some factories allow you to sort of uh, do part shipments, so they send like 10 at a time, but that costs more again, so then that becomes a whole logistic puzzle. Uh, these were made in China. Yeah, these were made in China. Yeah. Um, but then for the for the, for the future projects, if we are going to make a thousand of something, that's definitely not going to fit here, so let's not even try. So <laughs> yeah. In the 40 square meter apartment in Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, yeah, uh, it, it looks nice and empty upstairs now, but yes. before there was just only manufacturing tables and in the garden and in the shed and everything, everything was covered in phoenixes. <laughs> yeah. Which is okay for yeah. a while. It's okay for a while. So it's also, it's, it's definitely, you know, this is our lives, 
not just our works, which I think is true for many small, any business. This is your life, not your job. Yeah. So I didn't mind literally living in that for a while, but it's also nice that it ends and now you can have a living room again. Yeah. <laughs> Those are, yeah, how novel. Uh, favorite Doctor Who episode that, that must be the, the Doctor, the Witch in the Wardrobe, um, where the Doctor uh, shows how he has modified <sighs> a house and everything goes slightly beyond into 11 and weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can link, I can send a link to, to this uh, so people can watch it. I don't think we can watch it inside this camera. <laughs> <laughs> Let's open it. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the main thing is that after everything is like, I know, is the, the main catchphrase. And the whole Phoenix is like, yeah, we included this and this and this and this. And this. You did what? I know. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So that's, that's my favorite episode of Doctor Who. And the idiot thing is, uh, I linked it here already. That's also an, um, as a quote inside there. I think that we've covered all the, um, all the, all the questions. All the questions? Great. Okay. Hmm? Okay. So I think we're going to finish this. Um, <laughs> this was, this was, yeah, this was super <laughs> insightful. I mean, I think we've covered so many different things and like you're about to show more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Like, <laughs> this is, you know, you know, the problem with YouTube and like the internet in general is that like stuff like this is just getting buried with so much other bullshit. Mm. And you're like, man, this is like, this is like, a, hopefully we can uh, get enough of a, um, of a following, like liking, commenting and all this stuff really helps out the stupid algorithm of YouTube to know that this is valuable. So please do, if you watched all the way to here, <laughs> make sure that you comment and say, hey, Roy, I commented. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, this is super insightful. What, what did you want to show us? Like, I, Well, this is part of the, the a, a very early experiment Originally, this was, became the Raspberry Fish. This is a Raspberry Pi loadout that I uh, yeah, had to... I mean, Raspberry uh, has been kind enough to, to send us some beta silicon of their RP2040 chips where, yeah. before they came out. And we, we made one polyphonic synthesizer with it just just to see if the chip could do it. And it, it, it could. Um, but the, uh, I, I took the opportunity to, to test some other algorithm, like uh, to use space filling for LEDs, um, because I really want to have this encoder thing with all these nice LED rings around encoders, um, which you see in many many devices. But I also want to have a sort of organically spaced thing. So I'm not sure if it's if, yeah, maybe you can see it. Oh, Every no. potentiometer has almost accidentally exactly the right amount of LEDs around it to do this ring thing. Mm. So <laughs> this has been an interesting um, evening of writing codes to sort of drift all these LEDs to, an, to a noisy looking pattern that still has enough LEDs to show values around everything. The, the drawing looks really Japanese too. Mm -hmm. I, th I, I think I just literally took one <laughs> or, or combined some, some things together. And these are really, and these are really, really clicky and nice. But yes, so th this is again trying to hide something that's very technical in something slightly organic and just blending it into the background. But as soon as you turn it on, then suddenly each of the knobs really gets their dedicated circle of stuff going on. This is 
So this so is for big fish. <laughs> to conclude, I have to say that uh, this might not be rocket science, but I think it's quite close. <laughs> so it's quite close to rocket science. Um, thank you guys so much. This was really inspiring, and 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 I've learned a fuck ton. <laughs> um, I hope that uh, you guys. Uh, back home really appreciate this this was a lot of fun i'm gonna go back on my train and thanks so much for joining us we'll see you in the next episode Thank you. Yeah.